Welcome to Afterlives of Ancient Egypt, in which we discuss ancient history and relevant current events. I'm Kara Cooney, and I love to take deep dives into history that are not always possible in academic formats. So, let's get started. Hello. How you doing? How are you doing? I'm <laughs> We're in the last big push of the Coffins book. Seen you for three days straight. Three days straight, working, yeah. working, working. We've had Kylie, Amber, you, and me all over at the house, just gathered around a table, working on the Coffins Chugging book. Chugging along. Going through every last little thing, every note, every little box in the photo citations. essays. Citations. We had some bibliography snafus. That was fun. Um, just stupid, never trust stupid those. stuff. Never trust, um, Google citations. Well, just any Scholar. of the citations, they always have to, like, it's annoying, but you have to, like, go through and check them all. It's so frustrating. Well, there's so much automation. That's what I'm saying. Like, the automation isn't accurate. No. So because... then it just, like, makes it your life harder. <laughs> yeah, because they'll take, they'll take all of the authors that are associated with the volume in any way and list them in all in alphabetical yep. order. So you'll get an edited volume with the person on the cover all the way at the back. And they should be the lead author, yeah. but the automated bibliographies will give you something else. So Make then you it. have to. Go I've been I've been googling images of the book, yeah. cover images of the book, and I'm like, this is the lead author. This is the way it should be. And then I take out all the other extraneous people. But it's you know this is the way academic publishing is, yeah. and it's defeats the purpose of the automation in a way. If it you does. end up having to do it by hand, yeah, <laughs> or checking true. it by hand, so it's, it's like annoying. But yeah, made good progress. I think it should be out in 2023. Is what I think. Yeah. And it's going to be a big, beautiful blue yeah. volume with Matka Ra's coffin on the cover. Nice, shiny, high gloss. Yeah. It's going color to be photos and everything. Almost a thousand color photos. It's crazy. Yeah. It'll be great. So. We'll do a, we'll do an episode on that once. Yeah. Once we're. Maybe we just take some time from it. Take some time. <laughs> and then. You can have a break and then. And then we'll have we'll all four of us, like, how to produce your own. Yeah. Final thoughts. Volume. Looking back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But what can we do better the next time or yeah. differently? But what are we talking about today? And, yes. and dear listeners, I ask because I actually don't fucking know. <laughs> so what yeah, are we we're talking slot, about today? Slotting in an episode real quick before we start getting heavy into work. So today we're going to do, since there's been so many new discoveries and new things out in the news, we're going to do an Ancient Egypt okay. in the headlines. Okay, good. And touch I'm, upon some. I'm here for that. I pulled four topics that have been mm -hmm. somewhat um recently discussed in the news and we'll just talk about them a bit more you know all these like clickbaity news articles don't really mm -hmm. give that much information so we can provide some more and, context and background to these things and you and i know you know we talk to some of the people who are part of these mm -hmm. discoveries we know how old the discovery is when it makes it to the press yes like a lot of these things have we've known about for a while but you know just starts getting picked up and or when there's an angle that the press picks up on mm -hmm. for a particular topic and then they pull it yep. and, yeah so uh, today we're going to talk about the Esna Temple Zodiac. Oh, great. Recently cleaned yeah. and beautiful. All the new stuff from Materia, Heliopolis, mm -hmm. uh, the Void in the Great Pyramid. Oh, like, okay, okay. And then the thousands of ram's heads from Abydos that okay. have been making the news. Okay, um, so we'll start with the Esna Temple uh, Zodiac. Mm -hmm. So this was, there was a recent restoration project at the Temple of Esna. Um, which has revealed a beautifully painted zodiac. Um, this was led by an Egyptian German team, Christian Letz and Hisham El Christian Lights. Lights. Oh, I forgot the I. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Christian Lights and Hisham El Lithi. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so we get all these reliefs that show the signs of the zodiac, as well as planets like Saturn, Jupiter, and Mars, and a number of stars and constellations. Mm-hmm. And Light says the zodiac itself is part of the Babylonian astronomy um, and does not appear in Egypt until after the Ptolemaic time. Um, and I think maybe better known is the zodiac from Dendera. Mm-hmm. And so these are all cool because the one that's now in the Louvre, which is now in the Louvre, yeah. which is people ask for, you know, repatriation, all these things. And not nearly as big as this one. Yeah. This is a mighty ceiling of Zodiac, whereas the Dendra Zodiac, while it is a ceiling, it's a ceiling of a chapel. It's mm-hmm. quite a small thing. Mm-hmm. And and something that's on a rooftop temple. More, more um, associated with the astrology that happens. I was going to say rooftop. like more like functional mm-hmm. in a sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, apart from Esna, only Dendra, they are the only two temples that we have left to us that have these zodiacs. So mm-hmm. they're, they're very informative in that way. Um, and just for viewers, listeners background, the temple of Esna was dedicated to Khnum and construction started during the reign of T3, but the current temple is Ptolemaic and later. Um, and I know it best because when we learned cryptographic texts with mm-hmm. Jonathan, um, that's where we read we started with, and there's a really interesting, beautiful text from Esna going through um, how Leith, uh, Neith created the universe as in her cosmographic. I love Neith as a creator. And yes. That you get this understanding that creation, female creation. is female mm-hmm. as you bring in a Greek cultural experience, mix it with the Egyptian, which had previously seen creation as a very masculine endeavor. Not that the female's irrelevant. She's there as the essential protector and and force field and container of the creation. Mm-hmm. But once you get into these later Greco-Roman yeah. temples, you actually see the woman, the the divine feminine mm-hmm. active in creation as well. And just like all the different ways of writing her name and this like little puzzle. Um, but yeah, I know, I think we both love to talk about astrology and Zodiac and I stuff. Um, so it's cool to see the Egyptian Ptolemaic take um, on this. You know, we've been to Dendera. I've never been to Esna, but we've been to Dendera and we've seen that zodiac. Um, and so, how would it be? It's a circle where you go around the circle. There's no beginning, beginning or ending. Mm-hmm. But in the same way, if you look up at the sky, the night sky, it is a circle above your mm-hmm. head and you can see the constellations going around yeah, that, rotating that circle, around you. right? But Esna is linear, mm-hmm. it's, it, it goes in a line. And as I understand it, it makes a U turn at the end so it's kind of like circular in its way mm-hmm. but but because of the way a rectilinear like temple is laid out yeah. it's more of a long oval. like a racetrack almost in a yeah, sense yeah 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 i like that but so how i mean i don't think any neither of us are experts in ptolemaic greco-roman astrology um by no means but so how how do we how should we see the zodiac and the planets and these constellations functioning within this temple to canoe why are they there yeah, I mean, is it to help kind of like calendrical, like time, like chart when certain festivals should be held or things like that? Well, yes. So there's a there's a yes to that one. There's many ways of keeping track of time. You can keep track of time by following the decans, mm-hmm. the the rising and falling of certain constellations in the in the sky. Like we know, of like Sothis is very important. Sophis, Sopdet, as the Egyptians called her, um, the rising, which happened once a year, is the beginning of the new year. And the flood. And the the flood. It marks the flood when everything is on point in the Egyptian calendar. And that 
is off from the 365 days of the year because the Egyptians didn't include the quarter day of mm -hmm. leap year. And so there were moments throughout Egyptian history when the rising of soap debt would always determine the flood, but it didn't line up like your you spring, like, summer, winter, whatever yeah. wouldn't necessarily line up with the calendar as it was being kept according to the solar calendar. Mm -hmm. So those those things were interesting. The stars never didn't work. The stars always worked. Mm -hmm. And the Egyptians would know when soap debt had its heliacal rising, it would it would mark that that beginning of the flood, mm -hmm. the beginning of the new year. Well, and so many of even, you know, obviously these go back way far, but our current holidays, religious festivals, holidays are based off moons and stars and yeah. still based off the yeah. the planets and, you know, what certain moon and, and how you know, do you I'm, calculate when to start certain holidays. And I am just starting to dabble mm -hmm. in astrology yeah. myself, um, ancient astrology, Hellenistic astrology, and I'm learning that there's a difference between fixing the stars, to, to fix star astrology, uh, which is more of an Indian ancient mm astrology or where the stars are connected to the equinoxes mm -hmm. and um, the seasonal changes and that's more of a Hellenistic style of astrology and what most modern astrologers use today a Western idea. Western astrology yeah. exactly um, it's a big it, it, talk about freaking people out use the term Western mm -hmm. astrology versus Eastern <laughs> astrology and heads <laughs> explode but but that's fine um, but one thing that's... So why do you think they're popping up in Esna, a temple dedicated, dedicated to Knum and Neith, I guess, in a sense, yeah. and also Dendra with Hathor? I mean, for so many different reasons, because as, as you pointed out, there's different ways of measuring time. Mm -hmm. And the scholar who can tell you, or the priest who can, priest scholar who can tell mm -hmm. you when something is meant to happen, and even somehow predict it, gets authority and from that that prediction saying, oh, the star will rise at this moment. And it does. And, and like, then it does. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that predictive quality, but also to know when to celebrate a festival at its most opportune and effective time. Mm -hmm. So those things all go together. And festivals are a way of economically and socially redistributing power out to people mm -hmm. at regular intervals so that, yes, you keep and hoard all of and these goods <laughs> most of the time. But then on certain days, you're gonna have a big festival and you throw the bread, you throw mm -hmm. the, you know, everyone gets some wine, everyone gets this or that, everyone gets a sweet cake or whatever, but you you prepare for these festivals and people brew all the beer and there's just this party atmosphere that helps to release tension in a society, redistribute goods, things like that, and connect with the gods mm -hmm. and allow the leaders to connect with the gods. So festivals are, hugely important and you might say oh my god but we don't have these festivals anymore but we we do mm -hmm. um we have our new year's our christmas we have fourth of july in the united states um passover halloween Ramadan. everyone gets yeah. drunk and crazy and dresses like a slut you know Mayday. <laughs> yeah um but you know so festivals are important but also the astrology if you're a believer in this ancient system then to have this knowledge, this restricted knowledge, this mm -hmm. intellectual trained knowledge is to have like a leg up uh, over people in like society. You can predict the future. In a yes, sense, right? yes. And so if you're embedded in this society and you believe, oh, I can know when it's a good time to found uh, mm -hmm. a religious school or when it's time to start building the temple and mm -hmm. lay the cornerstone, when it's time to do all kinds of things, then you you have an advantage uh, as perceived by people around you. 
One of the coolest things about temples in the Greco-Roman time period is that they knew how to make an income. Mm -hmm. And to prove to the people that you had access to this restricted knowledge, people would come in and they would get their reading from you mm -hmm. for when it was a good time for your son to found a household, yeah. when it was a good time to start or a certain a marriage, business venture. Even, yeah, yeah mm -hmm. some sort of a marriage, some sort of, uh, you know, when a child is going to be born, whether it was opportune or not. And there are Egyptologists um, like Marina Escolada Poveda, mm -hmm. who work on the preserved astrological texts of people going to somebody, paying somebody mm -hmm. for their skill, and they'll write up their reading Oracle. and then and yeah. then give it to them. Cool. So you, the temples, as they fall out of the control of the quote-unquote state, mm -hmm. as they're not funded by the kings, particularly down south in Greco-Roman time periods mm -hmm. where they're off the beaten path, you need a, the pre, the priesthood needs to to create its own way of funding itself, and what better way for people who walk into the the because um, I think this is in the portico. Mm -hmm. It's it's in the first area mm -hmm. that people would go into. In some ways, the most public area of the temple. So you look up, and it's like the biggest calling card you could possibly want mm -hmm. for the priest to say, "You want to know what to do and when to do it. We have the knowledge." Come to us and pay us and we'll help you. Yep. Um, and as everyone is dealing with the anxieties and insecurities of their daily lives, this is a godsend. Mm -hmm. And if you have the extra cash to be able to put it aside to help create some sort of calm to your anxiety, mm -hmm. you, you will probably, mm -hmm. probably do it. So, and never forget that the, this astrology is embedded in the society. Yes, once it gets to a Hellenistic understanding, there's more openness. We see more texts about how normal people are getting their astrological readings. In ancient Pharaonic Egypt, this was much more exclusive. Yeah. This was something that only the very rich, like Senenmut's mm -hmm. main uh, yeah. advisor to Hatshepsut, yeah. would, you know, he in his um, mm -hmm. tomb near her temple at Dira Bahri, mm -hmm. he included an astrological mm -hmm. uh, ceiling with the Deccans. And we can talk about what the Deccans mm -hmm. are, but like, and and then there are these middle kingdom coffins that have the astrological ceiling on the Inside. interior lid of the coffin. Mm -hmm. So the rich people get access to this training, um, to, to this future reading ability and the power that comes with it. And then everyone else looks on jealously in a yeah. way. And the Egyptians are able to guard this knowledge. It's an extraordinary thing to see it published like this mm -hmm. in one of the most late Greco-Roman temples because Esna is very, very yes. yeah, late. Very late. Um, and what's the date of this zodiac at all? Do you know? Main structure built by Claudius. It's so late. This yeah, is Roman, Roman shit. This is Roman. Yeah. So, so the fact that this is being published now. I thought it was Roman, yeah. Uh, we're not even talking about Ptolemaic pharaohs. We're talking mm -hmm. about an Egypt that is provincialized into the Roman Empire. So it's a very different space. Yeah. And so to see the zodiac within that space, you see that the Ptolemies were more jealous, or the Ptolemaic Egyptians, Egyptians living under Ptolemaic colonial occupation, and, and those upper Egyptians who were often resisting against it, mm -hmm. they would have more of an exclusive connection to this astrology. Mm -hmm. Once it's provincialized into Rome, you could argue that this is a much more open, commercialized even mm -hmm. endeavor. So it's, it's, it's all really cool how much it says about ancient society as well. Yeah. And in a way, it's nice that, I guess... For millennia, it's been covered in dirt and so, all this stuff because it's, you know, it protected the paint. Mm -hmm. And so now that, um, 
you know, they're conserving and rest restoring the temple. We, you know, the, the pain is wonderfully preserved. And so you can go and see. And I just think it's fun to see like Scorpio and have a little, there's a little yeah. Scorpio and like just, you know, how little our zodiac has changed and Sagittarius here too. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, if you, I'm looking at it too and how, so I'm looking at the picture and we can, we can upload one of these images for everyone to look up at too in the show notes. And it starts, it seems, with Virgo, mm -hmm. they're saying. and But there's a sphinx to mark it, to mark the beginning. It looks like a female-headed sphinx. Mm -hmm. um, and she's got a sun disc on her head, and she's there. You go in the direction of the face. So there, there is a, a lion of some kind or a sphinx of some kind to mark the entrance. Mm -hmm. um, and then you go to Virgo, and Virgo looks like a female wearing a white crown. I, I don't, you know, I, I have to learn all of these different constellations and how this works. And then there's Libra holding the scales. Do you have that image? No, I don't have that one. Yeah. So there's Libra holding they the scales. so many. And then there's Scorpio, yeah, the one you one were just looking at, which yeah. is not in anthropomorphic form at all. It's just the animal, the mm -hmm. Scorpio, and looks pretty fearsome, pretty scary, very cool. And all of these images have stars above their heads, which is so very, very cool. And then you go to Sag, Sagittarius, which is yeah. a centaur holding the bow and arrow. Yeah. And but it's like two-headed. It's so cool. Just so, so Lion cool. on one side and the human on the other. Mm -hmm. And then he's got wings. A scorpion tail. And a scorpion tail. But he's got the bow and arrow for that fire sign. And then you get Aquarius, which looks like a, a dude, a water bearer holding mm -hmm. the water. Aquarius is an air sign, not mm -hmm. a water sign. Um, and then... Pisces. Where's Pisces? Oh, yeah. What is that? Oh, it's two Fish. fishes. Mm -hmm. It's wonderful. Um, two fishes are tied by the string. And Aries, ram. Aries, Taurus the ram. Bull. Taurus is a bull with a Gemini, sun disc. Is that a twins. sun disc on its back? On its butt. Yeah. On its butt. <laughs> Which is kind of like the coffin that you see mm -hmm. with the Taurus with the moon or mm -hmm. with the sun on its back. And then Gemini is... Two twins. Two twins. It's a male and a female, though, isn't it? That's cool, it? though. Yeah. It's a male and a female with stars above their heads. Um, cancer is big crab, big scary looking crab. That's so funny because Esna is far cute. from the ocean. Yeah. So maybe they didn't know exactly how to draw this crab in this place. It's kind of uh -oh. cute. And then Leo's the lion. And then Leo's the lion, the yeah. last one. Yeah, it's very, very cool. And then all of these other images, I suppose, would be other. decans and other things. Yeah, they I'm have not... here representations of the decans. Oh, yeah. So that's the little... these guys over yeah. to the right. Okay, so a decan, a decan is splitting each constellation into three, and there are 36 decans, and it's a 10-day period, and it's a way of moving through the solar calendar. Mm -hmm. And it seems to be separated from the constellation zodiacal calendar, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. And one of the points that, that astrologers make who study ancient astrology is that the Egyptians invented the house system. So when you hear an astrologer say, oh, second oh, house is the house yeah. of your income and mm -hmm. the you know, fourth house is house of your home, that this is this comes from the Egyptian understanding of the decans, which is a more complicated system because mm -hmm. you have thirty six of them rather than twelve. Yeah. And it's a it's a whole thing. So there's an overlap of the zodiac constellation sign, whether you're Aries or Pisces or whatever, and then you overlap that with the Egyptian 
decans and what they meant and you get the house system mm -hmm. in addition and it depends and so cool. then your houses determine your rising yeah and, and where things are or your currently. rising determines your houses sorry i said it the wrong way but um it's really wonderful mm -hmm. it's really wonderful and i just hope that having removed all of the soot because yeah. in these temple spaces, you get soot from oil lamps people, and things like that. People back used to burn yep. fires and... Yep. That removing all of this, that there's a way of consolidating. I'm sure that the, they, they know what they're doing. And yeah. they've removed this soot, but are going to consolidate the, the rich paint colors that are preserved. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, with years down the line, proper study and publication, I'm sure we'll find out a lot more. Yep. But yeah, yeah so, that's, so that was one of our hot topics that I think was really cool and Jeff actually just went there and he said it was beautiful and Esna's just really cool because it's still in the middle of a town yeah um and obviously it's so much reset I recessed into temple. the ground Have because you been? Mm -mm. it's the coolest temple yeah. it's seriously in the middle of like an urban space yeah. and you go down like six steps to get into the, the temple. old ground level mm -hmm. yeah yeah so and you, cool. the town's all around, and you mm -hmm. can, like, buy snacks and yeah, hang like out. Living and still. It's, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful place. Well, on the same topic of the Ptolemaic period, we can, we can pivot. Yeah. Um, so something that recently came out um, in the presses was the thousands of ram's heads that have been discovered at Abydos. Right. Um, and so at least 2,000 mummified ram heads dating to the Ptolemaic period um, were found at the Ramses II temple at Abydos. Um, and there's some Old Kingdom stuff we'll talk about too in a second, but I'll, we'll, we'll do the Ptolemaic stuff first. And so these animal remains, along with other, it wasn't just rams, but it was dogs and like every animal known to man, um, are thought to be votive offerings to the still functioning Ramses II temple. So that's, we can talk about that, about how there's a Ramses II temple still functioning in the Ptolemaic period, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, and so, as you just talked about with Ptolemaic temples, them being very economic powerhouses, because of this thriving animal votive trade, um, why do you think animal votive offerings became so popular then? And how are they functioning in this ritual space? And it's also interesting that it's at a mortuary temple to a king. Yeah. And not just a normal temple. It's also very interesting. and. We were both at Sami Iskander's mm -hmm. talk, and Sami Iskander is the main yeah, so, yeah, archaeologist. The, yeah, the main archaeologist is Sami Iskander. Egyptian-American. From New York University, I saw. Right, yeah. and and is engaging, has been engaging with work at the Ramses II for, Temple at Abydos for, I think, more than a decade. Yeah, yeah. Maybe two decades. And I'm so I'm intrigued what, I'm sure he's presenting on it at this RC coming up. Yeah, and the and updates. Mm -hmm. And do check out his amazing volumes that, that are coming out mm -hmm. in quick succession about the Ramses II Temple. I own I own all of them. They're beautiful. Mm -hmm. I mean, these, these Rams heads are so cool because they show you that the temples have well and truly been privatized. Yeah. <laughs> As we deal with all of this privatization of our universities, of our libraries maybe of our of, of I mean really what's a Barnes and Noble but a privatized library that you feel like you can you can go into and mm -hmm. hang out in and read books and put back on the shelf it's kind of ridiculous but you know mm -hmm. people love to use them in that way but there, there's all kinds of privatization happening in our culture today in which state investment and funding is being removed and that's that state investment and funding in the same way in Ptolemaic and Roman Egypt, it was being removed and given to the high elite. 
the, the um, this privatization, it's, it's the same as today. So, you know, if you're able to have government invest in something such that the dominant class mm -hmm. gets all of the goodies, then everyone's fine with it. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you get a whole lot of immigration or a whole lot of other people coming in, then you're going to see that state funding or, or there's less control in how that state funding works. The state will pull their investment into these structures, these temple structures, mm -hmm. these libraries so and schools and other things, right? We talk about charter schools. We talk about school choice. We talk about all mm -hmm. the hospitals are all being bought up by private equity, whatever. So all of these things are being privatized. Well, this has happened before. And in Greco-Roman Egypt, the states were, you know, over time pulling their direct funding of mm -hmm. these places and saying, figure it out. And these Greco-Roman privatized temples pivoted and learned to use their their authority and their intellectual training, their bureaucratic scribal training, mm -hmm. and they sold trades. So you could go there and you could get a legal document written up. You could go there. So like a notary. <laughs> yeah, get your astrological reading yeah. done. You could go there and make a prayer. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that the prayer was materialized, because every person on this planet loves something material, mm -hmm. right? You go to make a prayer at the Catholic church, you put in your, your quarter for the super like the nice candle. big candle yeah. and you get a card, you know, or mm -hmm. something like a card of a saint yep. in the chapel that you gave your candle if you do the super nice donation, mm -hmm. right? And, and so you have something to take away to document that you have this prayer and you can keep that in your pocket as like a talisman mm -hmm. kind of thing. Well, the ancient Egyptians got very materialized in the way that they did these prayers. And, and you know, well, so what did these temples do um, to prepare for this, they they had these uh, not zoos, but really breeding grounds, mm -hmm. right? No, so I don't think it would have been like a nice. The animals weren't like they don't. They weren't super concerned about their like space or happiness and no. But a Bostet temple would have a bunch of cats, a bunch of cats. You know, um, a temple to birds were very popular. Yeah, in general, you can't you can't breed falcons very easily yeah. it seems and people like Salima Akram who study mm -hmm. animal mummies very specifically have shown that the that the hawk mummies are not usually hawks they're other birds yeah they make them look like it or yeah. and, or like they're a piece of a hawk right they each get a wing a bit right. of a wing bone or something and not the whole hawk whereas the ibis bird you can you, you can the breed whole, those yeah. more easily and you get you actually yeah, get lots an ibis. of dogs and cats they're Tons easy to breed dogs are easier Shrews. than a jackal so you, the yeah. dog is the stand-in for the jackal mm -hmm. because it's breeding jackals it doesn't seem yeah. to really work. Wild animals, yeah. Um, it's hard to do. Obviously, any domesticated like ram or mm -hmm. something like this yeah, is it's, easy. It's easy to to breed a domesticated animal like a ram, and that's what we have yeah. here. And so why a ram for Ramses the <laughs> second? It's not a connection. I know. It's not a, <laughs> but it, for those of you listening going, oh my God, I've proved the secret etymology of the name Ramses. It's not going to work. Ramus. Um, Ramus means the one born of of Ra and but, the etymology. I mean, the Ra and the Ram are connected. They are. Um, the the Ram is a, but he's connected more to Amun Ra or Amun Ra. Mm -hmm. If you want to put an E or a U in there, it's up to you. Um, Egypt Egyptian has no vowels written in it, so it's up. It's a choice. Um, and Amun is written with an O, an E, and a U. Amon, Amun, Amen. Good luck. And trying to connect Amun with the biblical Hebrew Amun. That's just not right yeah. now. Let's not, yeah, yeah. let's not try to etymologize this. But um, so Amun Ray is the one really connected to the mm -hmm. ram. And rams being a solar. 
Yeah, like their horns. Things with horns are connected with the sun god. Yes, yeah. Very much so. Like the sun fits in between that, like horns. as a horizon or something. Yeah, yeah. The they're, horizon achet sign. Right. They're there as the place the sun rises and sets between, mm -hmm. like the two hills. So mm -hmm. you've got those horns. Same way the cow goddess yep. has the horns, and the sun is fit between yep. them. Um, I'm sure we could go deeper into the reason the ram is chosen for Amun Re, but it's a strong, powerful masculine force, I guess, right? I mean, he's like a, a bull. Yeah, he's a he's such a strong force mm -hmm. that what is lambing season? You maybe you, when it gets sunnier, when you know, spring. And then you have to kill all the males. Well yeah. Because or you, you castrate them. You can castrate them, but <laughs> mostly with lambing, you just kill them. And everyone eats you lamb. Keep one. Right. So you only you, need one male. <laughs> you eat your lamb stew and your lamb this and everyone's like, Oh I'm so sick of lamb, but you have to eat all your lamb because that's that you you can only have a few of such a strong masculine animal, yeah. And then he's surrounded by his females, his harem, <laughs> his harem, and you get this idea of the patriarch mm -hmm. in a patriarchal society, the sun god, surrounded by his daughters, his mother, his wives, all of these things, and so the ram is a, is the mm -hmm. perfect animal for that kind of understanding. Why they connect the ram particularly with the hidden one, yeah, and the old setting sun. I think that makes sense. The ram has a yeah. beard, right? It's kind of a bearded animal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He looks old. Like a billy goat, yeah. There aren't many, if you're lambing and you're killing all the other young males, very few of them are able to get old. They keep so them separate too, usually the males, because they don't want them to fight each other. Rutting with the women unless they want them mm -hmm. to be mating. And, and they'll, they'll ram the head of the, yes, other, yeah. of the other male goat. They're special in some way, yeah. Yeah. But he's, this ram is the, is evocative of the setting sun, mm -hmm. of the older sun, the dying sun, which seems like you're, you might be listening to this going, why would anyone want to worship the dying sun? I mean, I love a good sunset as much as mm -hmm. anybody else. But for the Egyptians, the dying sun is that which is pregnant with new life. It's the sun that will rebirth itself, mm -hmm. that even if it's dying, it will be reborn. It's foretelling yes. a new beginning. <laughs> in some ways, it's the most powerful hope that any people mm -hmm. can can hold on to so and it's funny that rams then in other near eastern cultures get a kind of an evil attribution with them or you know in greece they're kind of this like wild bacchic mm -hmm. like crazed animal and then the near east they get associated with like the devil and or a ball like, like storm yes, god like kind, this kind of, of like chaotic like unleashed masculine like mm -hmm. in greek like all the satyrs are always like raping women yeah it's the man true. goat it's true so it has this there's this kind of sex unleashed uncontrolled male sexuality yeah. associated with them but yeah. to the egyptians they're like yes <laughs> yeah that unleashed male sexuality is what will create yeah. a new life so they're all they're all into it yeah and obviously you, you're also kind of touching upon the the christian paganization yes. and demonization of all of this by yeah, making worsh animal worship by making the devil into a, a goat, goat mm -hmm. right and and this ultimate evil is yeah the, this paganization of something that was worshipped around the mediterranean mm -hmm. west asian and north african world is is associated with this particular animal it could be a pushback against egyptian systems of power mm -hmm. and elite power there's a lot one yeah. could, could talk about there too. But now, getting back to the temple yeah. and the discovery of Sameh Iskander, the, the goat skulls or the ram skulls, mm -hmm. this temple is letting a lot of rams live. 
which over to, like and and just where that they're keeping them? they're breeding them they're not lambing they're they're allowing them to grow into big strong rams ostensibly because Expensive. they had clients coming yeah. to pay for them to be sacrificed in front of them so that they could make that offering to the gods as a mummy when i just love too that like abydos you know the earliest necropolis to the egyptian kings is then still functioning heavily by the time you know ptolemaic period you're having all these people still come and like the pilgrimage to Abydos is still happening. That's classic throughout Egyptian history. That it's understood as a center of kingship mm -hmm. of an Osirian yeah. kingship. And Ramses, they... Because Osiris dies and is reborn, mm -hmm. associating with Ramses the Two. Great. Yeah. Ramses II, supposedly the Great, right? Mm -hmm. That that there's people are going there to connect Greeks with power. Were coming to like visit Egypt. Yeah. Right? Leaving their name on like the Memnons and um Things like that. So. But this temple must have been. I Poppin. mean, the the goat, the the male goats, goats must have all been fighting with each <laughs> other all yeah. the time. It must have been kind of crazy, and maybe they had to keep them separate from each other. I have no idea, but there would have been a lot of testosterone in this breeding yeah. ground area because they're going against what you would normally do if you were keeping a herd of goats. Well, and Abydos also being like this like Osirian Chthonic place mm -hmm. too, mm -hmm. and yeah. And so say you're an elite rich person coming to the temple, you want to, you're worried about sacrifice. something, <laughs> you're worried about um, somebody who's just died, yeah. what, whatever, or you want to connect with that dying son. And you need that fecundity, mm -hmm. you need that new life after death. There could be all kinds of reasons that you go. But you go there and you connect with a priest and they're like, okay, we can, we can get you a ram. Um, how big a ram do you want? Mm -hmm. You know, how expensive do you want it to be? And we head, don't, body. We, you know, only the heads are here preserved in this and temple. And it's cool. Like the, if you look up an image of it, you get, it's just lined up. Right. They're the lined up in this. Yeah. Please Google the images because they're all lined up. Thousands mm -hmm. of them. But a lot of them, like this one here you have looks, it's mummified. Yeah. You know? And so you wonder, did they sacrifice it in front of you? Kind of like an Ida Latha kind of mm -hmm. thing where you give a sacrifice to the gods and then you... And then they would keep the head like keep in Keep the head in the temple is the space, offering. Yeah. To, or did the priests keep the meat? Or did you buy the animal and you kept part of the meat and gave part of the, the meat to, to the, the priests? Or something, yeah. And then the head went to the gods? It's, it's not clear how this works, but the fact that only the heads are preserved means to me that the meat is going somewhere. This is a quid pro quo. This yeah. is an exchange. Somebody's getting something out of it. And a goat is no small commodity, a, a big ram. This is some serious yeah. mutton commodity. Mm -hmm. This is this is a nice um, piece of meat. And you would then, if you're paying a certain amount for that, you would want to get something big in return. How much that would actually cost? I, you know, a, a goat in a text from Daryl Medina, like a good uh, 1,200 years before this time period, would have cost about 10 Deben, two woven shirts, two pairs of sandals made out of leather. But a ram, is that more expensive? I, I assume so, but I don't But I don't know. Is Does a ram make good eating? I have no idea. Is it tougher? Do you I know. Like... I just know what's good for wool. Yeah, that's like true. Castrated males are the best wool. I mean, does it make a good coco van? I have no, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah. Do you just cook it a long, long time and then it's delicious? I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, but it's stew. I assume it's a, a lot of meat, so maybe this I'm is like a. I'm assuming babies taste the best. I assume, but is this like a twenty debon kind of thing because of the amount of meat and that you would get? Yeah. And then it's four woven shirts and four pairs of sandals and. Mm -hmm. 
I, I actually don't know, yeah. but it's a big outlay of cash. And then you're giving that to the temple. And then the temple, the same way if you go to a Hindu temple and you ask for, I think it's called a bupti, where you pay the priest to do an invocation for you a certain number of Mm -hmm. times. And the more you pay, the more times they do it. In your honor, yeah. Yeah. So you're like, I have this problem. I need you to pray for this person. This is my issue. Please do it 300 times. Mm -hmm. And they'll say your name and then they'll do the prayer 300 times or however many, Mm -hmm. depending on how much you paid. And I have to imagine that that's what's Mm -hmm. going on here as well. And it's wonderful because it's connected to Amun-Re. As you said, it's connected to the the ground zero of Egyptian kingship at Abydos. Mm -hmm. It's connected to uh, the ram and, uh, you know, itself. And it's connected to Ramses II Mm -hmm. as a deified cultural memory of a kick-ass king that everyone wanted to be like. Mm -hmm. So... And that his cult was still functioning mm-hmm. that many, many, many years later. Yeah. But then also, um, at the same site, under the temple yeah. nearby, they found an old kingdom structure with five meter thick walls. That's this business. Yeah, and you can see the corner yeah. there. Yeah, um, Dating to the Sixth Dynasty. And so that makes you think, okay, ask yourself, what's happening in Abydos during the Old Kingdom? Right. As we... Um, will have been released by the time you're hearing this episode, but we have our Kuchu's Khufu statuette um, object story, uh, which talks a bit about the possible Khufu temple mm-hmm. um, that Richard Busman argues is there in Abydos. Mm-hmm. Um, other Old Kingdom things, we have, you know, tomb, the Tomb of Leni, um, and there's a couple other tombs Petrie had excavated all dating to the Sixth Dynasty, and there's a town there as well. So presumably this five meter thick wall or foundation of some sort, perhaps. All mud brick. It maybe is an earlier temple on the location or part of an earlier structure of some sort. But it's it's pretty impressive and pretty monumental. So Yeah, it is. Um, thinking, you know, back to what Abydos would have been in the Old Kingdom. And I think a lot of people don't think of it as much. I think we have to reconsider that idea now. But it's also, it it gives you an idea of how potentially destructive Ramses II Mm -hmm. actually was. Yeah, because if there was an old, and and I brought up this analogy before, I'll bring it up again, the idea that you had this late ancient uh, church Mm -hmm. at St. Peter's Basilica Mm -hmm. in Rome, and then you get people with enough power to say, we're going to tear it down and build a new one. Mm-hmm. We'll keep the basement area or whatever, but here's our new fabulous St. Peter's Basilica. And they, they rip it down and build again. That's what Ramses II is potentially doing, given this foundation mm-hmm. of a temple with extraordinary, extraordinarily thick mud brick walls, really copying, in a sense, the enclosure wall mm-hmm. of Shunad el-Zabib built mm-hmm. by Kemwi. It's Kasakemwi, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Um, and... And th- there's this very old pre-existing temple structure that Ramses II and Seti I before him, his father, mm-hmm. may have gone in and said, you know, we need to connect with this ancient kingship. We're going to put temples here. This space here. is already sacred. This so. space is already sacred. We're not going to tear it down. We're going to raise part of it and we're going to build on top of it. Mm-hmm. And this idea of sacred space remaining sacred space, even if there's destructive changes happening mm-hmm. to it. And never forget that building is always destructive. Yep. 
if you have a construction site next door to you, you know exactly what we're talking about. You can't build something without raising what was there before, creating a whole lot of dust, Foundations, moving things yeah. around. It's always a messy, destructive process. Yeah. And that seems to be exactly what's going on mm-hmm. at Abydos. So I just love that it's like Old Kingdom, yeah. the Ramses Temple, and then like thousands of skull, ram skulls from the Ptolemaic period. It's yep. this literally thousands of years of history compounded upon a very small space. And just keep keep your eyes peeled for more stories coming out because mm-hmm. it says in, in one of the articles I'm reading right now that there are a number of statues, yeah, remains statues of trees. Papyri. Tree remains. What leather, what? The leather garments and shoes I know are Ptolemaic. Oh, okay. Later. Okay. Um, but how cool. So yeah, there's, trees, there's more yeah. objects cool. coming out. The, the, this I saw a team with Sami Asconders working with... Um, with, with good funding mm-hmm. and good um, foundation of work and they're going to be and they publish yeah. so they're going to be publishing this stuff as soon as they find it which well, is wonderful excited to see yeah, what's at, at this upcoming RC I'm sure yeah. he'll have more you're going? no I'm not I'm not going to we'll RC to ask. I know we'll ask and find out and but. maybe the press will pick it up too yeah okay um, well sticking with Old Kingdom we'll travel next to the super hot Void in the Great Pyramid. Oh, that super hot void. Okay. So a new scan of the Great Pyramid was done using a special technology using muons. And mm-hmm. you can look into all of that. I'm not going to get into any of that. But essentially, it's stuff that, you know, we're constantly being barded, bombarded by these cosmic rays, as you could say, muons. And it's collecting them. And you can see where there's holes in the composition of things. Um, and... With this study, they found two voids. One, the big one, that's above the Grand Gallery. And there's a smaller one in the north face. Um, But most people have made a big hullabaloo about the space that's over the Grand Gallery. Um, And then the team, using an endoscope, they were able to go into the space above the Grand Gallery um, and take a picture. And so you can see those pictures um on the internet as well and essentially it's a vaulted chamber um undressed um does not appear to have been meant to be something that people were like traveling through undressed what do you mean uh, you the mean- stones are undressed <laughs> good, sorry good. um and i think you know some some people will argue that this was like a secret chamber to a lost kuvu's actual lost tomb blah 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 but the most reasoned arguments I've seen is that this is a dummy passage similar to what's above the king's burial chamber, but that it's a relieving chamber to take off pressure above the grand gallery because it's this open space that the weight of the pyramid would have pressed down upon and these vaulted chambers are a way of dispersing the weight. Yeah, I mean, you've got it. The, this this. So work... to me, it's not that... I mean, it's cool to just know more about the construction of the pyramid and the engineering knowledge they had at the time that oh we can't just build solid rock upon an open passage because it will collapse yeah and that we need to have kind of relieving chambers arches yeah things like this to to disperse the weight that's cool yeah but you know seeing all these things of oh it's leading to a new room where his actual burial is and all this i mean stuff i mean i guess it's getting people interested but yeah i you know this this muon yeah. Investigation has been going on for, yeah, for many years. Yeah, it's the Scan the Pyramids project. Right. Yeah. And the first time it came out, it was there was an attempt to quash it by Zahi Hawass, who was like, no, there's nothing here. Mm-hmm. But obviously, 
muons are these subatomic particles and you just are measuring them as they go through spaces, which means they will reveal voids. It's mm -hmm. a very simple yeah. uh, way of doing it as I, as I understand it. I'm no atomic particle specialist, but the voids are there. So it was decided, I think, okay, well, let's go and investigate yeah. and see what's going on. So now that's what the Egyptian team the is doing yeah. and is vest investigating. But it makes perfect sense given that the, the so-called burial chamber has relieving chambers above it. Because if you build a rectangular structure inside of a pyramid that's made of stone through and through, it will be crushed. Mm -hmm. The weight of the stone too, above it. Because granite's... Even the, the granite is strong, and yes, it can with, withstand the pressure more than limestone, but the weight of the limestone above it is so extraordinary that you need these relieving chambers. Yep. So there are these, is it four or five? One, two, above three, four. The yeah. No, five with the, court, with the, um, the, Arch. the one arched or the, mm -hmm. what do you call that? Corbled, yeah. Cor the corbled one above. Mm -hmm. So you have to have that so that chamber doesn't get crushed. It makes perfect sense that even with the corbel vaulting of the Grand Gallery, that there would be a relieving chamber above it to make sure that the weight of the limestone pyramid yeah, itself didn't outwards. crush yeah. it. Yeah. So it redistributes that weight. Yeah. I'm no pyramid builder. I'm no expert of it. But I do. I mean, this, I think that to me, this just goes back to the whole argument that people always like can't believe that we made such a thing so long ago. And then yeah. so there has to be this like ulterior conspiracy theory. And so anytime there's like a new thing found about it, everyone's like, oh, my God, see, see. And it's like, no, they were just actually really smart. They had a lot of practice building pyramids by the time they did the Great Pyramid. And they knew that May, May Doom has relieving chambers. Yeah, they already knew how to do these things that they needed to be done well they I messed love... up all of snefru's so they probably learned a bunch of lessons engineering wise but i don't think they've done this muon investigation for snefru's red pyramid or no. bent pyramid yeah. i think I'm it'd sure be great probably more we can learn about all absolutely, of them absolutely yeah. because it's it's snefru's pyramids and khufu's pyramid that are the most interesting on the inside after khufu yeah they get kind of boring they just dig into the bedrock yeah there's nothing on the inside of the pyramid. They're like, we're not going to bother with all this, you know, cantilevered stone and empty relieving chambers. It's exhausting. Also, it's been done. So it's not going to create power yeah. and mystery and, oh, look at what the king was able to do. Really? It's so not going to do that. Time, yeah. It's already been done. So now they just need the pyramid to show that they're able to be big and powerful. And even that's not needed anymore. You're going to have Khafre's pyramid after this whatever Jedafra built in between, and then Menkawa rays. And after that, the pyramids are rubble pyramids mm -hmm. with the limestone facing, and that's it. There's, yep. there's very little on the inside, and almost all of it is bedrock-based, so yep. it's easier to build a structure. Um, so this was the pinnacle of, yeah. This is little... the pinnacle of building. And what we don't know about how the Great Pyramid on the Giza Plateau was built is a lot. And so since we don't know a lot about how it was built and the Egyptians aren't going to give blueprints for this weapon of the mind, as I have argued elsewhere in my mm -hmm. book, The Good Kings, um, we have to figure it out. It's, but it doesn't mean it was something like mysterious or no, extra-worldly. I mean, well, it's meant, let me, let me say again, the Pyramid of Khufu was built to be extra-worldly. It was built to be mysterious. It was built to make people think that humans could not have built mm -hmm. it, even while it was being built. That's its purpose. So that people look at the king who ordered it built and they go, oh, my God, he is a fucking miracle of humanity. And it's God. so amazing. Yeah. This God king rules over us. How awesome is he? 
So the and that pyramid continues to work on our simple minds today. Mm-hmm. And so then when these news stories come out, we lose our shit, and it's like, oh my god, this pyramid. Um, yep. It is cool. It's really really it's cool. cool. And those people that that work on on pyramid studies and the building thereof, I think it's awesome. And yeah, I hope they do more work on on the Snefru pyramids as well, so you can get yeah, be cool. a more long durée understanding of of how it works. But what I think is cooler, which is our last topic for the news-related section, yeah. is the new stuff coming out of Matarea, oh, um, yeah. the German-Egyptian-led mission um, by Dietrich Rao Dietrich and, Raue, yeah. and Ayman um, Ashmawi. Yeah. And so they're digging ancient Heliopolis, which is now today's uh, Matarea district. Um, and they unearthed recently remains of the sun temple finds including um a bunch of statue fragments which are ridiculous and would love to hear your art historical thoughts on those but also limestone pavement um slabs so we have an actual like the ground um a part of a of a temple and a bunch of uh, statue fragments a quartzite nose dated to hormheb a Samtek the second gray wacky fragment. Did you say nose? Nose of Hormheb. How, how do they know I what don't the know. nose of Hormheb is? I know. Like? Um, That's crazy. Pits with statue fragments of R2, Ramsey II, and at least five quartzite statues of Ramsey II, as well as a Sphinx. Mm-hmm. And then a bunch of other statue fragments dating to Ramses the Ninth. Right. And I think the coolest part is there was part of an obelisk found, which we know Heliopolis was known to being full of obelisks. Um, a red granite part of an ob- obelisk with an uh, inscription on it. What date? Um, I don't know if that one's dated. But so what is Heliopolis? Why is it important to us? Right. And um, what should our listeners know about it? Yeah, Heliopolis is dedicated to the god Atum Ray, the first god of the Heliopolitan Ennead, to throw a whole bunch of Greek mm-hmm. in there, including the name for Heliopolis. Um Heliopolis was called Iunu, mm-hmm. and its its symbol is an obelisk, yeah. a pillar, a, a, a like I guess like the prim- primordial mound. It, it's complicated. Like yes, there's the Ben Ben stone mm-hmm. that is in the temple. That's like a primordial mound, but the obelisk and the obelisk and the Ben Ben stone. Like the obelisk obviously takes its inspiration from this Ben Ben yeah. stone. What the Ben Ben stone is, we have no idea, but it is meant to symbolize that first dry earth that came out of the primordial ooze of yeah. whatever. But it's also that first earth that was hit. But it was also the first earth that was hit by the sun. And the obelisk then develops in the middle kingdom with Sunwaster the first and then into the new kingdom as this tall spear like thing hewn out of stone, like a solar ray out of stone. Mm. And the obelisk is always a red granite, a solar stone. And, and so you get this, this understanding that it's a, a materialized ray of the sun. Mm And the Ben Ben is a materialized earth being hit by the sun in a way. And Atum is the god who was floating about in primeval matter, primeval darkness, mm-hmm. um, infinity, hiddenness, all of these things. And he comes to the, the notion that he can exist 
And he has sex with himself. Mm-hmm. He has sex with his female part, his jarret, his hand, yep. and and then creates himself. And there's potentially autoflatio involved, but we'll we'll leave that out. But he ends up sneezing out Shu, the mm-hmm. god Shu, a god of the void, the sunlit void, mm-hmm. and spitting out the goddess Tefnut, the goddess of the moistness, moisture, yeah. moisture of the of the world. And then those two have sex, and they create Geb and Newt, the sky and the yeah. earth, and so it on goes and so forth. From, yes, yeah. and it goes from there. But Atum is the one that creates it all. And in many ways, he's like the Urgot, to use the German word, the primordial god that creates all existence. Very Catholic. Yeah. yeah. Very similar to Amun Re, mm-hmm. whom we were just talking about, that, that setting sun that will be reborn, except this is the, the god who didn't exist yet and then made himself yeah. into this existence. So, a mindfuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is. It's all, it's all lovely. Because um, unlike like, Christian ideas of creation where god existed and god made things happen it was like if you then ask where did he come from that's not a question but mm-hmm. here we have the answer to where autumn came from yeah. he made himself yeah he made himself somehow self-created one self-begotten you, yeah you have all these different texts about him put into funerary spells coffin texts mm-hmm. things like that and then the location of heliopolis yes. I mean, you know, it's a suburb of Cairo, northern suburb yeah. of Cairo, yeah. and it's there at the apex of the delta of the Nile, Upper Egyptian Nile Valley, meeting the delta where it it splits off into different yeah. branches, and it's at that northernmost area, and almost certainly, and I'm sure Dietrich Rawa uh, could tell us more about this, but it's it's at a place that must have been on high ground mm-hmm. a turtle back as yep. nile specialists gazira, might call yeah. it a gazira exactly that that is like a, a higher area that you can build a temple on and that even with the yearly flood isn't going to be wiped away well, season it would have after looked season. like that first mount of yes. creation in the waters yes and have the temple with the obelisks yeah very nice image in your head <laughs> that geographically it was chosen this site mm-hmm. as a high area even with the yearly flood where you yeah, could never flooded or something perhaps you could worship the sun god continuously repeatedly and where people would then leave monuments mm-hmm. and as the nile started to really become what it was in the fourth millennium then you know, this, this mm-hmm. is a very old site. Yeah, I mean, yes. this goes back. But that's what I was going to, my next question was yeah. going to be, you know, we n- know of Heliopolis. People, researchers have known about Heliopolis forever, but recent, the excavations are more new. Right. Right. Because it's under a modern suburb. It's right. in, like, they have to go deep to find evidence for this stuff. It's, it's underneath the modern city of Cairo. Yeah. You can't just go so digging around and there's apartment blocks mm-hmm. there. And so how did we know, like, what was our evidence before this more recent archaeological excavations you know as far as i know and and i'm not a heliopolis expert at all i'm a theban expert so this is not my this is not my jam but there there was an area before cairo became hyper urbanized with the obelisk of Simwasser the yeah. first. So we with, have some bits and pieces about. Yeah. And we, then mentionings in texts of someone, you know, a king setting up an obelisk or right. renewing the temple at Heliopolis. So we just right. don't have it. <laughs> well, and there were there there were ruins to mm-hmm. be visited. And you can go to your description de l'Egypte mm-hmm. and see that there were ruins that one could go and see and yeah. and, uh, and an area that hadn't been urbanized yet mm-hmm. that 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 could be visited. Now it's it's really hard. One well, isn't it like he, it's uh, in the a lot of where he's digging. But they, I mean, they just found that giant 
is it a Samtech statue? Where they it's pulled a out of the, the second statue, as um, I understand, out of, from inscription. They were in um, like a garbage, a giant garbage, garbage dump, pit. giant garbage. And so they were pit. dealing with all the issues that come with excavating, you know, a garbage area, which is toxic, toxic and, and unsanitary. Yeah, and mm -hmm. then you know, and it was it's very waterlogged up there, right? So you can't yeah. go that deep without having any pumps, and right? So it's a definitely difficult excavation area. And they have to go fast because yep. this is a rescue archaeological mission where buildings are going to be built. Yep. So archaeologists, and this is a joint, mm -hmm. as you said, German-Egyptian German team. And so they're going in there moving as quickly as they possibly can, publishing and recording as quickly as they possibly can. But there's going to be a building going up yeah. right where they're digging right now. So, yeah. So, the you know, the press release isn't as informative, I think, as we would like. Right. Because um, it just very, you know, gives you these little tantalizing fragments belonging to Horemheb. Right. Oh, the gray wacky belonging to Samtex. That must be what that oh, one okay. piece was. But what do they say it is? The gray wacky what? It just says gray wacky. Oh, because we have to, we don't know what it is. It's a fragment, um, right? Yeah. But yeah, so, but we have some white plastered mud brick architecture and flooring dating to the second half of the first millennium. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's super exciting what's similar to memphis it's like these places that we know mm -hmm. were very important places so that we just don't have finds. amazing amazing preserved to us and so any little bits and pieces that we have coming out yeah um and then simone connor is the art historian who's mm -hmm. who's associated with it um working on many of the statues that are found um really really wonderful work yeah being done. so i i, I always mean, I'll learn get more excited ice. Right. The International mm -hmm. Congress of Egyptologists is going to be in Leiden this summer of 23. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm assuming that there will be papers on this there. And yeah. that's going to be really exciting. We'll have more to talk about. And um, you're, you're not going to ICE. None of our team are, is going to ICE, just me. So I'll take careful notes and, yeah, report, and back. report back. Yeah. Yep. But yeah, so I'm always more most excited about places that we know are under understudied but under excavated mm -hmm. and when we have bits and pieces coming out more so anything from Heliopolis or Memphis is always um, very very exciting oh no it's the it's the coolest any other recent news like to touch upon um, trying to think you, you mean other discoveries or mm -hmm. things like that or just yeah anything um, I, you know, it's funny how these things happen seasonally mm -hmm. for us. And right now is about the time when we would start to get a lot of the news of discoveries because most people it's dig in the Egypt season. in the season mm -hmm. that is coolest. They're going to be there from, you know, October through to the spring. And so this is when your photos are going to be released. People are going to put mm -hmm. things out there on the web. They're going to populate their university website. We're, we're into April. Now's the time. So I think there's mm -hmm. the discoveries are going to be released uh, pretty hot and heavy and we'll we'll learn more. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. They're finishing up Edvu. Yeah. yeah. So I think in the next coming weeks, we'll probably have some new. Yeah. New press releases as well. Yeah. It's yeah. really. And I think the ministry always posts. They post most of their stuff on Facebook. So you can follow them for. Yeah. They'll do the Arabic and English press press releases. Yeah. And, go from there but these were just some I feel like we were getting a bunch and I just wanted to give our thoughts and touch base and I think it's great and I think this should be a regular part of the podcast it's mm -hmm. like new new latest new discoveries let's talk discuss and a lot of these things we talk about in um, the ancient now on the Substack, right but we can't get as in-depth and so 
you know, um, as you're if you're reading the Substack, please read it. Um, we'll, you know, we throw a lot of links and new discoveries, not just Egypt, but everywhere. Right in there as well. And then we can take this time to dive a little deeper and into those. Jo Jordan and I also know how often the articles get it wrong. Yeah. Even reputable mm -hmm. news organizations get yep. things wrong. And we also know that many of the people who are working at these sites, we know how long it takes for excavations to be able to release things. We know how hard it is yep. to identify and date things when they come out of the yeah. ground. Yeah, in and most cases we've known about all this stuff for I mean, like while. the Bido stuff, it's, that's been years. And we're also privy so. to some of those heated discussions that'll happen in a conference where people argue about a date, mm -hmm. argue about a function, say that's not what, what this is. And there can be, when, when things are new, there can be a lot of disagreement before things settle into mm -hmm. an accepted story. Yeah. So, you know, just, just take that into account and we can try to parse things yeah. out so for we'll you. Try to give you some context and background. Yeah. I think it's a great yeah. idea. But this was fun. So let us know if you something pops up and you want us to talk about it more in depth. We can always just add in a little, even just like one topic to the beginning of any podcast episode. We can yeah. take a moment to talk about something hot. And all of you who are patrons on the Patreon, you know that. You go into the Discord. You say, yep. we'd like you to talk about this. Have you looked at that? Give us a link. We follow up on it. And we also connect with our patrons through live zooms mm -hmm. and we get to have discussions with you directly yeah. which is really fun so if you haven't become a patron yet do jump on that yeah. because it's a way to connect with other people who are all interested in this work in mm -hmm. these discoveries what the ancient world was like we why we're obsessed with ancient egypt private, of these private live events just for the patrons yeah. so we can have a you know a closer conversation mm -hmm. and we're looking to pull out different types of um, offerings this year with yeah. our object stories and other things. So um, stay tuned for that and hopefully get you different offerings. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Love it. Cool. Well, this was fun. Now we have to get back to editing. <laughs> <laughs> back to the damn book. So the thank book. you all. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, we'll be done. I hope so. Wouldn't that be great? Yes. I think so. The done. book will... It'll be out there and done and handed off to AUC Press, American University Cairo Press. Thank you Yay. for your patience with our process. <laughs> it's taking a lot longer than I said it would, and I'm sorry, but it's going to be beautiful. It will be beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Until next time, this is... Afterlives of Ancient Egypt. Bye. Take care. Thank you to our listeners for your support, and please subscribe. It's a big deal with all the platforms, so subscribe. If you enjoyed the show, share it with all your friends, and most importantly, leave us a five-star review. It really helps with all those aforementioned platforms. Send all those ancient world questions and topic suggestions for future episodes to karakuni at gmail.com. We read them all. You can find info on all my books, articles, and upcoming lectures on my website. Just head to karakuniegyptologist.com. Amber puts all that together. Oh my God, thank you, Amber. Join our vibrant and subversive online community at patreon.com slash afterlives and get access to our private Discord server where Jordan and I can connect with our listeners far, far away from all those toxic social media spaces. And do not forget to check out our Substack Ancient Now at ancientnow.substack.com where we share perspectives on all that history and archaeology news every week and continue the conversations that happen after the podcast mic is turned off. 
You can find me on Facebook at Kara Cooney Egyptologist and on Twitter and Instagram at Kara Cooney. Thanks to the team at Patina Productions for this podcast, which I must point out is wholly separate from my academic work at UCLA. See you next time on Afterlives of Ancient Egypt.